morning, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, ghosts, demons, apparitions, haunts, and phantoms. You have clicked the button to access the Manchalian candidate once again. Thank goodness and God bless you. My name is G-Man and I'm sitting across from the powerfully transdimensional P-Boss. And we've got a cracking show here for you today where we're going to deep dive. And we're not going to faff, we're going to deep dive straight into some very interesting realms today. Trying to ground ourselves in reality and a little bit of pop culture as well. P-Boss, how are you this morning? Deep dive, my friend. I, I want to invite the listener to imagine that you're going into a topic with uh, one of those little mini submarines that Jacques Cousteau used to, I was going to say drive or fly. I don't know if you drive a submarine or if you fly it. It's well, hard to know. I reckon a crab would think that you're flying. You know, he's on the yeah. bottom. Yeah, that's how that goes. Exactly. So, yeah, flying. Exactly. Yeah, water yeah. flying. Very like good, it. my man. Very good. Yeah, too, super excited to, look, do another invitation to consider episode. Yes. My bro bro. And in doing that, we're going to look uh, look at the topic that we would like people to be less dismissive of uh, through the lens of, dude, one of my favourite movies ever, ever, in, ever, my brother. Yes. So, Talk us through it. What are we doing, son? Right. Well, it's a rather big topic to approach here, and we're going to be doing it in a very man-childian way, which is, as we've established over the course of many programs, a sort of water-cooler uh, meandering conversation with a few pointy bits in there for good measure. But today we're going to be grounding ourselves, if possible, uh, in the pop culture realm of ghosts and phantoms and trans-dimensional creatures, but yeah, we are with the idea and the notion so that we can just, in all honesty, wax lyrical about how fantastic a very particular program is that we grew up with, with deep, deep love, and that is Ghostbusters, the amazing yeah. 1984 Ivan Reitman masterpiece that uh, basically raised me and gave me a sense of humour. So, Bebos, you have alluded to this being one of, if not the most incredibly excellent films on your enormous Mount Rushmore list here. Um, what is it about the Ghostbusters that you and I and our players at home love? Brother, I would have to say that it represents for me the nexus of when you have top-tier ideas... Pretty, pretty good top tier considering the era production values and just a chemistry of a cast that you, you probably can't create again or definitely can't simulate, my dude. So when regular listeners would understand that we, we, we look at a bit of intersectionality in terms of how these things happen. And look, what we'll unpack as we go is that some of this could even be considered a happy accident. Look, man... This is, for me, it's coming in at a healthy 7.8 on IMDb, but for me, this is possibly as close as you get to a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Also bringing in those other ideas which we hold so dear of just originality. Yes. Yeah. This one blew my socks off, my brother, and yes, I still can't, I still can't find those socks that I was wearing in 1984. <laughs> 
Yeah, good, good. I hope they're long gone, my bro. And, yeah, this is huge, this film, for me, because it is a... Effectively, it's a comedy, and it is hilarious. Of course, you've got the powerful uh, Saturday Night Live alumni and Dan Aykroyd and, and Bill Murray et al. But also what you get within this film is it's laced with some degree of seriousness. This is Absolutely. what really separates it from just... Dick and fart humour, for me, there's actually thought-provoking ideas all the way through it. And we're going to be exploring a little bit about the seriousness and absolute potential eh, theoretical truth behind some of these ideas of busting ghosts. Not necessarily the busting of, but we're going to try and bust open the idea of are ghosts some form of reality? Is there some grounding of reality behind the concept? It's going to be hectic. It's going to be heavy. It deals in many, idea, uh, many ideas, death, etc., funerary rites, what this might mean, and even to, I'm going to take it very deeply, some fundamentals of the universe, and that may explain something or even confuse us further, <laughs> which either way, I'm in, man, and I hope you are too. Dear listeners. And my friend, we're really going back to the uh, foundational ideas of this podcast. This is this is an episode that it, it you know explores multiple really fun and gnarly ideas, but also just saying, can we talk about them without being too dismissive? Yes. Isn't it fun to talk about these things? And to be honest with you, isn't the world a more interesting and potentially marvelous place with some of these concepts in? But my friend. As with these episodes that we've done before, if you don't mind, I'd love to ground us just with a little bit of uh, factoids and interesting information about the origins and the inception of the fantastic movie Ghostbusters, my bro. Yes, yes. So this for me feels like it's going to be a bit of a salad bar exploration where we oh. pose a lot of little ideas and you can pick and choose at your will and make your own mind up. I think this is the thing. We're not going to tell you what's true. We're not going to tell you what's real. It's really up to you. It really Don't is. worry, we're going to give you access to the desserts bar and the main bar, and we are going to make sure that there's, you know, sneeze, sneeze guards are all in place. <laughs> Perfect. This is what we need. That's I can tell you, back in the day, man, at Geelong Sizzler, lordy, 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 did I have some <laughs> night, nightmarish events, akin perhaps to some of the horrors that we're going to talk about encapsulated in this episode. But my friend, let me cast you back to the year is 1984. And we have a movie that was released in June of 1984 that just absolutely blazed its way to number one at the box office. In terms of thinking about what was going on in that year, think Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So we've got some serious contenders in what I consider that golden age of 80s movie production. So interestingly, my brother, this, this movie received a PG rating. Mm. Which, I, which I've always considered is interesting. And as you mentioned, while it's not necessarily horror, it's got some flavours and some horror, which explains, and I'll go on to reference this later on, possibly why there was no initial release of toys and products and that sort of stuff. Because essentially, I wouldn't say this is a kid's movie, even though I saw it when I was a kid, and yeah. it probably explains a lot. <laughs> Harold Ramis actually in the DVD commentary makes a point saying that he wouldn't recommend it to any kid under eight. And i got to tell you, having an eight-year-old myself, I reckon there's some stuff in this that would turn his shit white. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, the, um, you know, the librarian scare, oh, um, 
uh, there's there's some adult stuff going on in here. Even the mysterious ghost blowjob that's sort of suggested that Ray gets later on in the movie. He really does. I f- oh man, I really forgot about that. The unzipping of the oh yeah. Totally, it's not explicit, but you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. So, speaking of Ray, speaking of Dan Aykroyd, this was originally conceived as a vehicle, my bro-bro, for Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Mm. And Dan, being the staunch believer in all things paranormal, which we might reference later on or come back to, and when I say staunch, he's made no secrets about his beliefs, with him writing a 40-page treatment. He was working on this thing even before he was doing The Blues Brothers and sort of during. So he wrote a 40-page treatment called Ghost Mashes. Now, there's a (laughs) terrible name. I can see why they uh, amended that. (laughs) I I know, right? Set in the future with some Ghostbuster-type dudes, man, going through space and dimensions to fight ghosts. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Essentially, what happened is Dan pitched it to his good buddy Ivan Reitman, and Reitman loved the idea but was saying, look, the practicality of shooting a futuristic thing, man, is going to send our budget awry, but I love the idea of catching ghosts. So Reitman pitched it to Columbia Studios, and they too concurred that, look, this is worth it. And I suppose the contract or one of the rules where they, was, they said you're going to have $30 million and you've got to do it within a year. So literally within a year from him sitting in the Columbia studios going, give us money, you bastards, the movie had to be in cinemas, which is pretty impressive when you consider the scope of it. So unfortunately, Belushi's untimely passing, God rest, meant that he couldn't be in it. Not without a Ouija board. So Reitman said, look, let's bring in my other good buddy, a one Harold Ramis. Mm. And he was of the belief that Harold Ramis would bring kind of a grounding and a quote-unquote a reality to the whole piece, which which is really important, and we'll, we'll probably discuss that later on. My friend, additional actors that were discussed as to coming on board the project included Eddie Murphy and John Candy. Oh, wow. Both of whom kind of said, no, nah, you know, not for me. Candy was involved, my friend, to a much, much deeper level. In fact, he was in the role of Lewis Tully. He was cast and a lot of the storyboards still have illustrations of John Candy. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, man. But he just tapped out. There's not a lot of information, but it's that old chestnut creative differences. Yeah, yeah. So, man. Imagine that. That could have been interesting. But again, I just can't see Rick Moranis' role done better. Nice doggy. Cute little pooch. Maybe I got a milk bone. No, no. Rick Moranis is so, so good in that film, is he not? For me, it's his best role. So we end up with the chemistry between the cast that, in my opinion, I would suggest is the core of this film's success. So, Dan Aykroyd as Ray, who's kind of pitched as the heart of the organisation. That's great! Actual physical contact! Can you move? The wonderful Bill Murray as uh, Peter Venkman in... We've talked about this in episodes before. Uh, I reckon it's his greatest role. Mm-hmm. Uh, Venkman, obviously, is the mouth of the organisation. Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. And of course, as alluded to before, the wonderful Harold Ramis, God rest, as Egon, who is pitched as the brains of the organization. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. 
if you sort of go into the movie thinking of them as the major sort of uh, directions, it really makes a lot of sense. And the writing is really pitched to that. One thing I did want to mention is Ramus did not want to smile throughout the whole movie. And he based his role on he wanted to be a modern day interpretation of Spock. I was about to say he's got some Spockisms to him, doesn't he? Yeah. I remember hearing that for the first time and then you go back and you watch it and you go, ah, even when he's talking about the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man approaching and he's too scared, literally too scared to think, he's just saying it in a really deadpan way. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Beckman. I'm terrified beyond the capacity for rational thought. And, of course, we got we got the wonderful Ernie Hudson playing Winston. Zedemore, and and he sort of comes in, I think one of his roles, he comes in as the voice of the audience in this. He's like, look, I just really want a paycheck. I'm not necessarily buying into the ideologies. Uh, If there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. And it's pretty well known that his character kind of hit the cutting room floor a little bit. So, possibly kind of got the short end of the stick there, but he has... A great discussion with Ray about the whole end of the world thing. Hey, Ray, do you remember something in the Bible about the last days when the dead would rise from the grave? You know, Ray, have you considered that the reason we've been so busy lately might be because the end of the world is here? And the dead are literally rising from the grave? (laughs) Yes. It really sets the gravitas for the whole movie. Yes. Then, of course, you have the wonderful, wonderfully talented Sigourney Weaver in the role of, of Dana Barrett. I find a little interesting tidbit about that was that she, obviously she was a huge star at the time, but Ivan Reitman still made her audition. Ah, yeah, she was incredibly keen to take the role. And part of the audition was, I need you to act you no know, possessed and the whole devil dog thing for me. Um, and apparently that was the that was the moment where it was just like, yeah, fantastic. Because when you it's think important. about it, her role is exceptionally challenging. She needs to go from being kind of quite asexual, she's quite square, she's quite neutral, to when she's possessed, my friend, she brings a general sultriness and sensuality to the performance, even in the way she moves, brother. So, kind of, for me, she's kind of got the most complex role performance-wise in the movie, I think. Yeah. And, of course, as I mentioned, we've got Moranis in his greatest role. So, there's a little t- introduction, like I'm always going to unfortunately have a movie-gasm when we base the movie as the doorway to these discussions. Brother, what comes up for you when we talk about this movie, man? Oh, well, the fact is that, um, as we said earlier, that uh, it is littered with Saturday Night Live alumni from the finest comedic era that I think that program has ever had. And it's our formative years, man, growing up with the Murphys yes. and the Candies, etc. And here is the pinnacle. It really is. And as said, like, it really is, inverted commas, a comedy. But at the drop of a hat, there is a prophecy brought in. I'm like, oh, my God, we're talking about pseudoscience. And we're actually really exploring that all of a sudden. Like, we're understanding what um, a PKE meter is and what it does. And this is something that's real. And so there's actual, they've got actual knowledge about some really interesting concepts. And a lot of it hasn't changed a huge amount between 84 and now. These concepts are still challenging us and there's still no definitive answers. So I think that's what it is. It poses a hell of a lot of questions and you come away questioning like oh wow okay well maybe this is actually something 
there is actually something behind this. And then it ceases to me, uh, for me, uh, from being a comedy to actually being something quite serious, which becomes a comedy at the drop of a hat. So it actually takes this turn for me. And um, in particular in the sequel, in a lot of honesties, with uh, Vigo the Carpathian being the antagonist, this uh, embodiment of this uh, evil fella in this painting, and it comes with all sorts of prophecy and philosophy behind that. And he's loosely based a little bit upon um, Rasputin um, for the, the devious ways they tried to eradicate this person who just could not be eradicated somehow and is then yes. subject and forced into a painting um, a la Dorian Gray for his survival. So yes. that's where it comes to me, man. Is uh, and, it, and it just opens up the floodgates for so much actual science slash pseudoscience for me that um it just re remains fascinating even to this day i could watch it and still get something out of there because um the great antagonist of uh ghostbusters numero uno is um goza the gozerian and his uh agent being zul who um is quite a strikingly strikingly represented in um in this film she is she is an otherworldly creature, that, um, that actress. And um, it, it just really opens the floodgates for some really interesting stuff for me. Hence why, when we were just sharing our love of the Ghostbusters and quoting it here and there, it just broadened it for us because there's actually a lot to talk about. I actually think, for me, it's my foundational understanding of parapsychology. I think it's the first time I really ever heard of it. I think for me, um, they are the quintessential paranormal investigators. Yes. I think it's the first time for me that I was ever presented with the idea that there are people that study this. There are people that get PhDs in this. There are people that dedicate their entire whole lives to this. And to some extent, I wonder if Ghost Adventures looks the way it does because of Ghostbusters. And I know awesome. Ghost Adventures are quote-unquote serious. Hmm. Uh -huh. But, uh, yeah, look, this movie was, and I think you nailed it. It's the balance of comedy, but at the same time going, meh, what do you think? Like, these things are possible. And largely, I think that is due to two things. You have Dan Aykroyd, who's right into this, and generationally, his parents were into the paranormal and Apparently, the script, when he originally wrote it, was far more serious. And so, you needed these directors, you needed these actors like Bill Murray. I think his comedy makes some of these ideas more accessible and possibly more palatable. Yes. My friend, take us take us on a journey. Where do we begin? We're, we're exploring and asking the questions. The topic loosely today is ghosts. Yeah. Where do we begin, my friend? Look, man, this is incredibly hard. And I think what's interesting is starting with sort of like a little bit of etymology about where the name and the word ghost comes from. Because we've got a lot of words for this. Every culture's got their own version of what a, you know, inverted commas, ghost is. And so I'll reel off yes. a couple of names. And we've got apparition, haunt, phantom, poltergeist, shade, spectre, spirit, spook, wraith, just to name a few. And these are all used in uh, in Ghostbusters themselves, and it's nice. They give them um, categories and classes. You know, it's a class four phantom, and it's all this sort of stuff. And it's oh wow, it alludes to the fact that there's an encyclopedia of knowledge about the different variants and powers of 
all forms of ghosts, which is amazing. Tobin's spirit guide. Yes. I, thank you very much, Sam. <laughs> it is actually published. It's just fantastic. But in Old English, ghast, G-A-S-T, uh, is what we would consider to be the modern ghost, and that is a spirit or a soul. But also, which is a little bit spookier, is uh, in Old Norse, something called jisa, which is G-E-I-S-A, is to rage. So that version of the stereotypical ghost is actually a quite a malevolent spirit in ideology to to rage. And then Gozer, of course, is another little variant of that, which is uh, great evil and my gosh. So that's once again like the, the not a misnomer, but we're afraid of things that are echoes of what could be the past or another dimension. So we are already sort of like a little bit creeped out by the whole thing. Um, and it sort of comes through as well, like in the in the pseudoscience of the Ghostbusters themselves, where Egon whips out the PK, PKE meter, which is the oh. psychokinetic energy meter, right? And so psycho, you know, directly meaning mind, soul, spirit, or breath, and then kinesis is movement. So it's indirect um, form of, you know, a spirit or soul actually moving. And so this is the yeah. animation of picking this up and uh, seeing what it is. But that's not enough for us, man. It's not enough. And um, it's really quite interesting how every human civilization from now until humans stopped rubbing poop on their faces and started forming uh, civilizations um, have all had some form of funerary rite and understood or thought something of death from the absolute beginning when cave folk were doing it they did all sorts of stuff they worked burial out fairly quickly and that might have come through from something a bit more practical because really you can't have uncle joe who's just carked it in the cave hanging out in the cave all day because he starts to stink and so that's something there so literally had to bury the dude six feet down so the wolves couldn't get him and he wouldn't smell so that makes some sort of sense but because we symbolize it so so severely you know um funerals have had a grounding from the absolute beginning as i said and it's from the latin word funus which um has many meanings but it's like the corpse and actually just the notion of having a funerary rite itself that's r-i-t-e of course and um cicero described the habit of placing or planting flowers as a symbology um which we still do in order to purify the ground in which the corpse was left so it's really quite interesting we've got so many different death rites across the planet. We really do. Like from the from the cliched that we sort of um, adhere to in Western society, which would be a burial and uh, be cremation. Um, but we've also got some others, of course. Like we've got the Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, which is um, that's a real reverence for the dead. And these dudes, they don't think there's much difference in life and death. It's actually you still revere the person as much, if not more, when they've since passed. But also you've got an Egyptian mummification and, you know, other strange things like death portraits, you know, that we used to do in the, in the turn of the, uh, the 19th, sorry, the 18th of the 19th century. Uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing sort of thing, really, isn't it? But so, you know, behind all that, the rituals of death, it's sort of we've explored this further in many many ways and people consider it the transference um from one realm being our realm to the other and 
If this is not done, many cultures believe that what you leave behind is a restless spirit. There has been no peace, hence the RIP is literally rest in peace, of course, and that is something that we must adhere to upon death, at least in this culture very much so, or else we leave behind what? Now, the whole notion, brother, this is where it gets nuts for me, and this is where we can quantify a little bit of it, I think, um, with a little bit of science, actual science. So my first entry point, yeah, this is tough, man, I, I must say. The first entry point is uh, thermodynamics is a fundamental understanding and was developed and, and sort of uh, conceived um, out of the desire to increase the efficiency of steam engines. Um, and this is what we understand about, um, it's a branch of physics that deals with heat, uh, work and temperature and their relation to energy, radiation and physical properties of matter. Now that's a hell of a mouthful and kind of a concept that's hard to understand really. But the first law of thermodynamics, and I won't go into any other laws because this is the prevalent one, it's about conservation. So energy is always conserved. It cannot be created or destroyed. Energy can be converted from one form to another. So that's what we understand about the universe is that there is always the same amount of energy in it. It cannot be destroyed and it cannot be created from nothing. Everything comes from something and everything goes somewhere. It just merely gets reallocated. So if you think this is a deep dive, well, my gosh, it certainly is. But that sort of leads me to believe and many others to believe, and I know you and many of our listeners at home may already have their foot in this little pond here, that we understand that the human body generates energy. And it really does, an electrical amount of energy that is actually quantifiable. And if that's the case, when the spirit of you, whatever makes you, you, dissipates once you leave your mortal coil, it actually, according to thermodynamics, it actually has to go somewhere it is not destroyed it you know hence the, the whole idea behind reincarnation is not necessarily cool you lived your life horribly and you came back as a roach or you lived nobly and you came back as a fine steed you actually have to go somewhere so it ties in with all these amazing theologies what do you, what do you think about the the law of thermodynamics in that regard about the energy man like i think it's Interesting, and here we have a recurring theme whenever we try to ask some of these bigger questions of man thinking that he operates in a vacuum in terms of the universe. So, as we sort of alluded to with Are We Alone episode, as we alluded to with antiquity, here again we have the naysayer saying, we are the one creature that is immune from accepted laws of physics that the rest of the universe are all privy to. Uh I'm not trying to sound necessarily facetious or cheeky, but I like to be reductive. And so when I have discussions with people about this, I will point that out and say, oh, I see. So we're the only creatures that don't have to obey universal law. I guess I'm going to out myself as, as a closet believer. Yes, I believe in closets. There's one over there. Oh, yeah. You come for the talk, you stay for the comedy. (laughs) It's more of an idea for me of saying, yeah, I don't really understand the whole concept of something simply ceasing to exist. 
And also, I will out myself by saying it bums me out to think that this is the only thing we get, that we get this body which degrades over time and then we just kind of go into the dirt. And that is it. You know my passion for ideas of consciousness. And I, again, ask this question, like, we have a lot of evidence-based science which is now questioning whether consciousness is localised in our bodies. Yes, for those that want to take a Jacques Cousteau-esque deep dive in that, there is a lot of peer-reviewed scientific content talking about this very thing. We don't definitely and unequivocally know that consciousness is localised into our body. We're not necessarily a brain with a th- with inside a skull. That's not all we are. So, to me, that's something that I think is worth considering with this wonderful theory that you're talking about, is, is to say that, okay, the body ends, cool. Hence the origins of bringing flowers and all that sort of stuff. Because back in the day when we were running around the Serengeti, bodies freaking stink. Yeah, they so do. of course you bury them. Of course you burn them. Generationally, cultures would start to work that out and go, "Oh, people get sick when we left, you know, Uncle Donnie out." Yeah, and that sort of translates nowadays. You drive past a funeral home and there's all these flowers. You know, yeah, you leave flowers on a grave. Yes. Absolutely, man. Exactly. We, we get that. So, yeah, for me, I'm going to provide a man-childian tick to that idea that at least, and remember, my ticks are going to be based around, yes, I would consider that. No, I'm not going to be dismissive of it. Yes, I will pull that down from the scroll bar of discussions at the water cooler, my friend. Yes. And this is not exclusive to humans, and this is what we know as well. Elephants uh, are known to take themselves off into their own graveyards. They know when they're going to cark it and they say their goodbyes and they wander off and they leave the rest and the elephants left behind mourn this is a real thing and this is so it's a well from what i can understand it's a mammalian thing i don't know if lizards or fish or birds have a little a little gimmick going on but they're far simpler creatures they don't actually have this whole sort of really intricate sort of caring thoughtful society that elephants really do with really high functioning brains with what i would imagine is actually a consciousness in there as well like if you've ever met an elephant and i say met it's not seen one but actually met an elephant these Dudes, look at you. It's, they're not like bovines in the, in, the, in the paddock just chewing and looking at you blankly. These guys look at you right in the eye and you can tell that something is really looking back at you when you see them. It's quite amazing, these guys, you know. So, I guess what we're initially talking about as another foundation idea is the acceptance of the concept that there may be a soul. It's difficult to have these discussions and and look at these belief systems without acknowledging as foundational that there is a soul. So, again, not an arsehole, as we've been ah, accused of that's being. That's good. <laughs> Big differentiation point because the, the evidence is out on one and conclusive on the other in our case. <laughs> So, I mean, are we are we okay to give that a Manchildian tick to say, yes, water cooler consideration not being dismissive? Because who can really – I just – this is where I get triggered by people who are dismissive of this stuff. Who can really know? No one's got definitive evidence. I love people who go, no, nah, there's not such a thing as a soul. Okay. How? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, this episode isn't us – putting our tinfoil hats on going, ghosts are real, man. 
can. This is just a saying, can we not just consider them for discussion and not be dismissive? Exactly. Exactly. And that's big, man. And that's anyone that's sort of like, and I'm not poo-pooing anyone that doesn't really, you know, want to understand or have a concept, but please, I, I, the invitation, yes, I know you are, but the, the invitation really is to explore the curiosity. There is so much that is really unexplained and this is what we're doing here today is to open it up and really really explore it and there is one little bit that i find intriguing and it's the 21 gram phenomenon and this was sort of understood a long time ago by a fella in 1907 named duncan mcdougall who dr Duncan McDougall, thank you. Forgive me, sir. Yes, he's Forgive got the me. parking space and everything. Man. <laughs> yes, he does. And tenure, lucky man. <laughs> and so he hypothesized that souls have an actual physical weight. So upon death, what we do know is that the brain still remains, well, inverted commas, functional for 10 minutes upon the heart ceasing. That's as much oxygenated blood that the body can still send to the brain in order for it to function. And this is where the whole idea of uh, near-death experiences happen, uh, where folk have a very, very peculiar and very, very similar experience upon, uh, inverted commas, once again, their death, and henceforth come back. And it's very common that we hear, we have like the walk towards the white light, Harry, this whole sort of phenomenon. And, you know, we can understand a bit of science behind that. That is actually something um, that is super, super common. But the 21 grams, for those that don't know it, is that once upon death, the body of the human being who used to exist is in fact 21 grams lighter, seemingly quantifying the actual physical weight of what we would call the soul. Now, that's really quite interesting sort of thing. And um, I don't know huge much more about it, to be honest with you, because um I just don't. <laughs> but it's it's really quite a fascinating idea. What I think is interesting about that is McDougal tried to replicate the same experiment with dogs. And I guess a bigger question is, where is this dude getting access to dead dogs? And is he on some sort of a watch list? But that's fine. <laughs> Duncan. <laughs> that's my labradoodle. <laughs> and he found, according to documentation and some, quite honestly, peer-reviewed journals in medicine he found that the same thing did not occur with dogs now this is maybe where i have a point of contention because it's worth sort of mentioning this was around 1907 this dude was heavily christian heavily westernized so he translated that as saying oh dogs don't have souls i'm actually not surprised about by that dogs don't have souls so that's where this bump that's where this kind of bumps up against our first idea of nothing you know energy never ever ceasing to be yeah so that's maybe the only problem that i have with this but to all the naysayers out there and i don't really think our listeners fall into the naysayer categories but look if there is one or two of you eliminated from the experiment was body liquids was evaporation dehydration all that sort of stuff the, the, the weight was taken pretty much as close to the moment of passing as you could conceivably do it so and obviously this is the basis of the movie 21 grams i was disappointed i thought it was a 
drug heist movie, but that's, that's <laughs> fine. I do find it really interesting, but let's be you know open and uh, full disclosure here. It agrees with some of our ideas, but it bumps up against some of them. So it's an yeah. interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, it really is, man. And um, like just to launch quickly back into the whole notion of you know the energy conservation in thermodynamics and the reallocation of what I would like to call it, perhaps, uh, you know, your energy slipping back into the stream, whatever that might be, which is, you know, quite, it's a, it's a romantic sort of ideology, I think, for me. And it's sort of a comforting thing um, towards the whole death thing, because I'm not inherently afraid of it, because I, I, I seek to explore it. And when you sort of have a, a scope and some level of understanding or feel that you do of the universe and its operation, then, you know, I, I'm kind of comforted by it. And it's super hard if I ever throw that at someone, the whole notion of, you know, thermodynamics and the reallocated afterlifey sort of stuff, I suppose, is not, and I, I'm not a, a religious fellow whatsoever, but you can call the motion and, you know, faith that I have in the universe in its functionality, you can rebrand that if you wish to twist it towards a God. You can put God as the universe and it actually still sort of summarizes it kind of nicely. It just depends on how you, semantics, man, however you want to roll with it and whatever suits you. Once again, the salad bar of ideas, you pick and choose whatever suits you. This is not a definitive answer, but this is something that works for me. Um, but what we do understand, and this is important, is that uh, there are three definite dimensions, right, that we have in in this universe. Three definite ones, height, breadth, and width, easily spatial dimensions. Or I should jump in and say there are three dimensions that we can perceive. Thank you very much, sir. Exactly. Is more pointedly the point. And, of course, you know, Einsteinian ideas in the early 1900s um, brought forth the idea that there is the fourth, which is space-time. And that, we know, is completely relative, which is really quite confusing unless you're into astrophysics, yeah? But... When we're talking about other dimensions, like actual dimensions, whether there is a parallel universe next to ours or a multiverse in which we are living, oh man, this is where we take a deep dive and this is where it gets really quite confronting, but it's fun to talk about. Our string theory to those that um, are already aware is a really, really amazing theoretical framework. Um, which is potentially, right, if this is anywhere close to true and we're still exploring this, um, it, it provides a unified description of gravity and particle physics. And it's sort of like a candidate for a grand theory of everything that we really struggle to do when we come to the Big Bang Theory, which people sometimes forget is still a Big Bang Theory. The definitive nature of this still is not known. So what was before that, that's where it gets confusing, right? Um, but in understanding quantum physics, of course, we've got the brilliant human achievement in CERN, which is the Large Hadron Collider that emulates the Big Bang, when it can, when it shoots particles close to light speed at one another and they pop and then we look, oh, look at all those quarks. It's really quite amazing. And all of a sudden we found the Higgs boson and really quite remarkable stuff. And um, that's also another version of string theory as well, which is bosonic string theory. And that's... I don't know. I've gone cross-eyed. 
that's too much for me today, to be honest with you. But just regular common or garden variety string theory it really does base its idea that um, particle physics are replaced by one-dimensional objects, singular-dimensional objects, so minute that the quarks and the bosons, etc., are made of these things, these little shimmering and ever-vibrating strings that propagate through space and time and interact with each other. And this sort of like, this is where it gets completely nuts is the theory of everything. But if string theory is even mildly correct, this, this really does mean that there has to be 10, at least 10 actual parallel dimensions to the one that we are currently existing in. And they're all lined up to what um, Brian Green, who's kind of spearheaded it, uh, the string theory in modern society, um, into saying it's like a loaf of bread. These, these are actually all aligned. They're actually all next to each other. Imagine this idea, my bro, that there are, in fact, 10 variants of you and I at this very second, who knows, maybe the podcast that we have in the other dimensions are actually totally prolific and we are the Rogans of the time, you know what I mean? And there's no reason why that's not true. But the reason that I bring up these dimensions is the fact that if that is even close to true, what the hell? There are possibilities, and Brian Green has explored this, of the blending and the blurring of lines between these dimensions. So there is an idea that these ghosts, once again, are not, in fact, echoes of a former life that's been left behind and the energy is still, you know, radiating in this dimension, but in fact could very well be the blending and blurring of a dimension and we are seeing something ourselves or someone from somewhere else which is not next to us necessarily almost on top of us if you will so it's it's really quite an, a gnarly thing to try and wrap one's head around but it evokes a lot of intrigue and it's endlessly fascinating what do you what do you think on these uh multiverse dimension sorts there my bro well, it worries me that on some level you're on top of me, but uh, that's In another fine. dimension, I'm underneath. It's so- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just hope that whatever dimension we're in, you buy me dinner and respect me later. My thing is this. <laughs> it's now fairly much to the point where if you assemble physicists from different trades, that pretty much universally, no pun intended, going to get the consensus that there are multiple dimensions, that there are multiple dimensions, that there are dimensions, only certain amounts that we can perceive, much like spectrum, light spectrum and that sort of stuff. I guess my second point is you referenced CERN before. I've got some differing ideas. It's either it's either one of our greatest scientific achievements or a sinisterly planned Lovecraftian portal to hell. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I, I've probably just played too much Doom. I was about to say that's very Doom-esque. But look, the thing about it is that now we're getting into a landscape, I feel... And I would imagine that this discussion will progress into the woo-woo category cons- for s- categories for consideration. But I just find that we are living in a world where science is coming so full circle to the point where it's confirming or looking like it's in agreement or not as dismissive of the possibility of a lot of the wisdom traditions. So you talked about at the start of this podcast, we have many different labels or monikers for the same ideas. Yeah. 
Joseph Campbell explored that in in some of his wonderful seminal writings, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, saying, look, the archetypal consciousness, in in which he did some great work with Jung on that, to say that are we born with certain types of ideations or associations that are biological? So could we be born with some sort of shared concepts? Could we be born with some sort of shared memories? Rupert Sheldrake, in his wonderful work on morphic resonance later on, explored this and, and, and prodded this idea. I guess where I want to go to, and I was wondering when I would throw this in, and I'm just going to throw this in now, my brother. Yes. It's estimated that 84% of this galaxy that we're in is made up of dark matter. Yes. Yes. Right? Dude. I just want to throw that in. Yeah. And just say, scientists, to quote Raiders of the Lost Ark, top men <laughs> yeah have really this stuff doesn't perform like the label on the box said it should it dark matter we don't know what it is yes and it's the majority of the galaxy in fact some estimations say that it makes up over 20 percent of the overall universe 27 percent of the yeah. overall universe yeah I guess I don't have a tremendously salient point <laughs> to no, attach to that but I love but- that. Because this is super important because I was going to dive into that ever so quickly as well in the string theory ideology because it has to account for it. And the thing about dark matter, much like the Higgs boson I referenced just earlier, is that we can't see the thing. And the whole point is we only know it exists because of its effect on everything around it. It's much like in a very, very simplistic, I'm very sorry for this layman term, but Wind and air, you can't see it apart from its effect on you and the stuff around you. Much like that with dark matter. Something is making stuff do things and we don't know how. So it has to be something. And so the Higgs boson is the perfect example because um, the whole idea behind that is that what happens, uh, we didn't understand, it's, it's a lot to do with gravity, right? And the Higgs boson, what it is theorized, and we've seemingly proven, I think, what it does is it imbues matter with mass, allowing gravity to do its thing. Before that, in the microseconds of the Big Bang, you know, before that even existed, matter existed, but it didn't have mass. So the Higgs boson kind of allows things to pass through it, but what it does, depending on how heavy it is, ID, how big it is, it collects it. It's almost like trudging through snow. And so as it goes in this path, Higgs boson collects upon it, giving it mass and allowing gravity to affect it. This is this is the, like some of the fundamentals of the universe, man. And gravity, as we know, as I hope we know, is one of the four fundamental forces of the universe that helps us all bind. But it's the weakest of all of them, which is really quite amazing, yet has so much effect on us that we can actually see. And the other forces of matter being uh, electromagnetism, strong radiation and weak radiation forces. And so it's so fundamental to the understanding of how it all works and propagates through the universe. Oh, my God. Gee, it exhausts the brain. And to be honest, I can think on it for about half an hour before I go into some form of conniption, need a glass of water and a red hot sleep because it really burns the mind. And I am not, as you're probably fully aware right now, uh, an astrophysicist or a quantum physicist. This is layman terms understanding for, for just a guy who is mildly interested and trying to quantify certain things but you're right man in the bringing up of the dark matter because my goodness 
if this is fundamentally true, 84% of the universe that we can witness, dude, there is something there affecting things that we don't understand. And so it, that's a broad thing. Dark matter is a very broad thing. And I'm sure, as you alluded to just earlier when I was mentioning dimensions, it's about perception. And in quantum physics, being perceived is a very particular thing because there are particles that do not exist and do not do anything unless they are being witnessed and perceived by who? That's the question. Us in our consciousness. Oh my God. Sorry, everybody, for mind fragging you there. It's like I threw a little firebomb into a, you know, a structure and now the insides are all falling to bits. So... This opens up so many broad questions in the workings of the universe, the workings of our consciousness and perceptions of this, and that's where consciousness really comes in, man. And you alluded to it very beautifully before about the individual consciousness being within me and my brain being the soul. There are notions and ideas that that's not, in fact, the truth at all. It's not an individual thing. We are actually part of quite an elaborate and amazing web of everyone and everything being connected, everything that is alive, everything that has the ability to perceive and even things that don't are part of this global consciousness, man. And, oh, it's a flay, isn't it? I mean, what, what do you think of that? Like the whole notion of a global consciousness, for instance. If you ask me what do I believe, I would say fundamentally I believe in an intelligent universe. I just am not comfortable in putting a label on it. So some people want to put a toga and a white beard and blue eyes and a big pointy finger on this thing and call it a male deity who hates us and, you know, wants us to suffer and be punished. Suffer and, yeah. You know, that to me is incredibly reductive. And gee, if it's true, what a bummer because, you know, we've been naughty boys. I sort of think to myself, if I told you that we were going to make a meal and here's the list of ingredients, and you're only getting 26% of the ingredients. Yeah. You're going to look back at me and go, what are we doing? There's nothing. We can't. I, 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 84% of the ingredients, I don't know. How do you want me to take any position here? Yeah. Other than, are you serious? Give me the full menu. So, we might have just stumbled across a really good way of explaining the Manchildian belief in asking greater questions or not being immediately dismissive to say that 84%, the vast, vast, like if you got 84% on an exam, you'd be stoked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You would, you would be thinking, I am in charge. Like, I am the dude. Like, start calling me doctor. Most of what we cruise around in every day, we have a vastly short ingredients list. Yeah. So, to jump to too many conclusions. And that's what I love about the role of physics. The ro they, These guys are trying to say, look, is it not possible to, you know, go into my George Sukalos voice from Ancient Aliens? Isn't it possible that, you know, could we just not consider it? Yeah. That's why I get quite surly with people that just won't at least consider these ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Taking a step forward, you're talking about a certain intersectionality of dimension. Yes. One of these theories um, of the paranormal now, let's move physics away from physics into paranormal psychology and theory, is that reasonably well-established multiple 
dimensions or realities can intersect. They normally run, Jesus, I don't know, in parallel. Listen to me. i got no idea. (laughs) The reality is we're talking about concepts that our brain can't even process. If I I ask you to visualize infinity, you can't. No. I get to about 20 and I'm, I'm lost. Exactly. Which, frankly, is impressive. Thank you. So, there's intersectionality. That's where we bring in some ideas of potentially ley lines um, over the planet. There are some paranormal psychologists that sort of notice a connection between ley lines around the world. We've talked about this before, that on certain geographical regions around the planet, you'll find Stonehenge, you'll find the pyramids, you'll find many, many types of monolithic structures that are conduits for perhaps augmenting these uh, dimensional in- intersectionality. Yeah. I don't know. And and look, I'll, I'll briefly go into what is probably my favourite ghost story and what probably most supports this idea. I cannot remember where I read it. So, for those that want to track it down, I'd start with looking in a book. <laughs> Any book. Look in a book, yeah. Just shout out. Go to the middle of town and shout out that I want a book and see what, see what people give you. It'd be locked up. But in short, well, more time to read. But in short, dude walks into his kitchen and there's pretty clearly a ghost. The full, what we, if I said to any any of our listeners, imagine a ghost, here's the ghost, right? The ghost looks at him and literally jumps and gets all scared and says to him, what are you doing in my kitchen? Who are you? Yeah. You know, the whole thing. And he's obviously blabbering the same sort of language back. They cross over for a while. They're both... There's none of this or moving things around. It's just two dudes that, for all intent and purpose, have interrupted each other's kitchens. And as if it was a human, you'd be going, who are you? What are you doing? What do you want? Dude fades away. And, you know, nothing happens for a while. And then a certain amount of time goes by and exactly the same thing. It happens with such regularity over a number of years. And neither of them feel like there's a malevolence or a sinister nature to it. Eventually, they have a discussion, like almost like you and I are talking. And current guy says to apparition, well, what's going on for you? Apparition is like, well, this is weird. It's 1964. I'm in my kitchen. I've just got home from work. I mean, there you have it. And he obviously says, well, nah, dude, it's 1996. And actually, this is my kitchen and you're a ghost. Mm. There you go. For me, me, that is one of my favorites. It's I can reel off all the other ones where it's woo and scary and I love them too. Yeah. But that one's a kicker, my brother. Well, that's kind of in league with um, there's a Nicole Kidman film called The Others. And I'm going to spoil the hell out of that for you. But she and her kids in this period home are like haunted and they're freaking out. They're like, stuff is falling off. I keep seeing this thing. Turns out they're the ghosts. It's set in the the future, which is sort of modern day time. And they are actually the ghosts. So it's really, really interesting concept. And that is the transdimensional nature of this whole thing. And you alluded it with ley lines. And it's about... Um, you know, as you said, also with uh, the spectrums of light, there, you know, we can quantify that. We can see this particular spectrum. I'm looking out the window now and I'm seeing stuff. But there is a bunch of stuff right there that are, is there that I can't see. And that's infrared, that's ultraviolet. There's a spectrum that is not, but because I can't see it, does not mean that it does not exist. 
that's the really tricky part about this. And I like that you brought an actual ghost story into the piece too, because what we haven't done is tell a ghost story, not even a single one about the, ooh, the peculiarities that will actually happen, you know. And, like, the whole idea, you know, when I was talking about etymology right at the very start about the Old Norse um, jysa, to rage, and that whole cliche behind the poltergeist, uh, which is the malevolent one, the one that knocks stuff off your shelf and slams doors and all angry this. Angry spirit. Exactly right. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a, that's where I think ghosts are scarier, when there is a level of interaction. You know, it's not a conversation. It's a physical thing that is happening, and it you don't feel comfortable. But you're not comfortable because you're actually in direct danger or because you are freaking out because stuff's falling off the shelf. I don't know. That's where it gets most peculiar, man. It really does. Just making a quick reference back to Ghostbusters. That's what makes the movie so interesting in that it is people trying to look at the paranormal with a scientific approach. Yes. There wasn't a lot in the universe of movies that did that. If you think about it, if you go through the movie, you know, they're at the start, they're in the library and, um, you know, taking measurements, they're, they're talking about, you know, temperature, humidity, all this sort of thing. And it's one of the most beautiful moments in the movie because we learn two things. They want to approach the unknown with technology, science and a way to measure it, but also this is their first time. By the time they come up to and find the librarian... You know, the first, it's it captured perfectly by by Venkman's uh, delivery of... So, what do we do? Like, they don't know what <laughs> yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a wonderful idea. And then, of course, it, it alludes to and deteriorates into something that we w- I do have to ask you, and we'll probably move on to this later, but... We get the idea then, we see the angry spirit. You know, the librarian transforms into whatever it is, potentially, I'm going to say the D word, perhaps demonic. Yes. Um, that's the that's the big question for me. So, again, just a reference to the scope of this and the importance, there I said it, of this movie. It's one of the first movies of its kind that said, we are going to battle the paranormal, not with weapons of the paranormal, We're going to battle it with science. Yes. We're going to battle it with nuclear particle accelerators. (laughs) And bear in mind, my friend, that this movie covers what we're talking about. It starts off as just things that go bump in the night. And I said the word earlier. By the end, it is quite honestly Lovecraftian. Mm. Interdimensionality, gods, portals. Yes. It's absolutely Lovecraftian in its delivery. So I guess that was what came up for me when you talked about interaction. But the theories that we were talking about before, the intersectionality of dimensions and stuff, yeah, doesn't really cover. And this is what I'm going to ask you next is it doesn't really cover when it's angry or malevolent. So. I guess WTF, what goes on there? That's the bit that's genuinely tricky for me, and, and I'll cross to you in a second, but many Indigenous cultures, wisdom cultures talk about, and this is so reductive, but talk about levels of existence as in high-frequency beings being more associated with good and the light and low-frequency beings. So if we've got a landscape where life 
can transcend dimensions and we mentioned the fact that there's possibly multiple many many dimensions maybe life just looks different into dimensionality and i guess my question is i mean i don't know do you concur with the with the given wisdom belief that there are just lower level entities psychic or interdimensional that kind of their thing is to mess with us yes oh absolutely and that's the gig man that's the absolute gig i mean depending on nature versus nurture and how you were raised etc it can conjure and create a very different creature whereas if you you know you think that perhaps like everything that comes out is born intrinsically neutral depending on one's upbringing and etc etc you can drift in either direction there's no reason for that not to be true but also I consider myself and yourself to be fairly morally aligned towards very much so, I would say, good with big fat inverted commas because that's objective. But I can also, I also have the ability to be quite evil in my intent, whether it be a mood. Example one. And the only example I'll give, I woke up in a foul mood today. <laughs> I just did. Woke up on the wrong side of the bed, had some funny old dreams, and they stuck with me, and I was in a foul little mood. So here is me Look, being- you, you couldn't tell. You really couldn't tell when we started talking. Well, I covered uh, it Before we well. recorded. I only yeah. smashed two things. <laughs> no, and this isn't even a part of my function whatsoever, but I did wake up on the wrong side. There is no reason to think that that poltergeist that's been affecting you is just having a shitty day, you know? It might- commonly be quite a you know a benevolent sort of entity whether that be a thing at all so yes. it's 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 all subjective man and it could be one day everything's fine the next day hey man i got a bad phone call now i'm kind of a bit grumpy but i'm still the same person this is just a mood so you know that's really hard to quantify in that regard is it not between um yeah that, that is a terrifying concept though of um an angry resonance left over by someone who was quite tormented and there are tales man you know tales that come from uh asylums or you know psychic retreats where things are uneven and there is trauma and one is soaking in that and this is how one responds and this is a very psychological thing but you know if you don't think that there's some sort of uh, uh leftover resonance of deep, deep trauma, even just left in the room or the space in a symbolic nature. Uh, I kind of, I'm kind of onto that, you know, in a lot of ways. In, um, in the town that I'm living in, there is a prison and it's oh. been, it's, it's a very old prison. It was there since the 1850s and it was one of the, uh, the big deals. And, um, what they did in, in this place and Prisons and jails are inherently a traumatic place. They really are, as we well know. But this place in particular, what they did was throughout the course of its history, its 120-year history, they hung folk and they actually executed people in this building. And even worse, what happens is what they then do posthumously with these bodies is that they buried them on site, but they buried them upright so that even in death they would not get any rest and buried them upright but also facing in towards the centre of the prison so even in death they couldn't see freedom. What the hell is wrong with people? And so this place is absolutely haunted, man. There are There is energy there that ugh, if you're mildly empathetic in any sort of way, or affected sympathetically by stories and environment, 
oh man, you get this little under the counter sort of seething feeling and it's not very pleasant and there are stories that come out of there you know really nuts just it's not even necessarily apparitions or anything physical but it is a sense it's one of your senses probably the sixth one that is going omg there is some crummy feelings in there and i don't want to go into that room because there is something in there and man i think you are right in thinking that, you know. So there really does feel like there is, um, like, a leftover energy. And those that don't even know the horror stories of that place come out of there saying, oh, that was that's kind of unpleasant. And, yes, it is, man, you know. So that alludes to me that there is some sort of resonance left over by extreme trauma. Yeah, and I think, I think if we sort of categorise the physics section, we've sort of had that discussion. We've said, look, parallel universes it's it's on the table for discussion the the universe is made out of ingredients the vast majority we have nfi yeah we're we're sort of moving into a new category here for consideration of saying okay we we also mentioned how we've got souls we well we we would consider that we have souls and that energy doesn't necessarily get destroyed but it can change yeah this is more in this sort of department and just First off, just off the bat, let me say what a what an indication of how malevolent and truly non-compassionate humans can be to take away someone's freedom, you know, all their life and then treat them like that with just the intention to continuously punish them in death. It's like, yeah. Jesus, dude. I'm not afraid of ghosts, man. I'm afraid of humans, dude. Like that's the thing, isn't yeah. it? Dude. Yeah. 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 That leads me to to another point of saying if we have frequencies, if we have different levels of frequencies, as many wisdom traditions suggest, and and by the way, you know, if you travel to a country like Japan, you have a, just an acceptance in the spiritual, you know, not not just not just a consideration, an acceptance. Houses are designed in a certain way to maximise spiritual livelihood of the occupants to maximally defend against malevolent spirits and low-level entities and juxtapose that with these are the guys that invented the Wii. You know, you've got (laughs) (laughs) cutting-edge technology still integrating, however, my dude, the fact that, oh, you build your house a certain way or you're going to have angry ghosts coming in. So, again, we probably have a very, very westernised view in that, you know, if we really did it per capita, the vast majority of the world kind of go, no, I, I believe that there are spirits. I don't know necessarily exactly how to label it or describe it, but it's a thing and I plan my life sort of to incorporate that belief right yeah yeah. and i don't just mean spiritual as in i believe in some bearded deity you know it's more just like you know most cultures are like don't piss off the ancestors don't piss off ghosts that sort of stuff right and i would agree with you there was a mental institution in this state that we're broadcasting from called larundel and only closed down probably 20 years ago and a truly sinister place aversion therapy shock therapy mm-hmm. multi-levels in the building so they shut it down the state government in conjunction with a lot of prominent mental health clinicians just said this is crazy i'm talking if you go back probably 40 years you're still talking lobotomy you're still yeah, talking man. gnarly gnarly stuff and of course in doing my research for this episode It is now one of the most popular sites for paranormal investigations. And 
I love how you erred on the conservative with the jail that you mentioned, and I know about that. Yeah. But they're very similar. The experiences do range on the lower end from this feels wrong to be here to people reporting being scratched, stuff thrown at them, and witnessing full-bodied apparitions. Yeah. So, I guess the point to my seemingly font of tangent is that perhaps in these places of suffering, which maybe inherently lowers the vibrational frequency of the area, these lower level entities come to either dwell or feed. It's their thing. And again, that is reductively the description, as I alluded to, from most of the belief of the wisdom traditions and Effectively, the, most of the people in this world think sort of or believe in that way. Misery attracts misery. I could just tell you, I'm not a particularly superstitious dude, but there's no sum that you could pay me. And I'm just being honest, where I would stay the night in one of those places. No, I, I, no, I don't think so. And you're an empathetic and thoughtful, provocative ideology man. And you would soak that up. And whether you were actively doing it or not, something would happen, man. Your dreams, even if you thought, no, this is fine. Something would happen in the night, man. Like it really, really would. Like, yeah, it's Oh, yeah, it's nuts. It hurts my mind to think on, and that's what I love, and that's what I'm doing here today, you know. But, yeah. As with most episodes that we've done before, we're going to say that this is an entry point. So, we've given you episodes about antiquity of man. We've given you episodes about UFOs and space. We're doing this one on ghosts. You're damn sure that we're coming back to all of these topics, but I guess we just want to do a bit of advertising for our invitation to be just considerate, not dismissive of these of these ideas, my friend. Yeah. Ghost stories aside, there are plenty of podcasts that specialize in that and do that way better than anything that we could do. But there's a certain universality to these ideas. It's an interesting one. I don't know if it's psychological or biological or both, that the dark scares us. Yeah. You and I have gone very deep in these wormholes, and I can recant and retell many stories of craziness happening right in the daytime. Yes, indeed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. One thing I like to bring up too is um, what I, I'm going to play devil's advocate ever so quickly because I, because I'm a Do believer. It. I like this stuff, as you can probably tell everybody at home right now. But um, one method that people have used for quite an amount of time throughout human history is the idea of trying to summon or communicate uh, with the afterlife or the dead or the house ghost or whatever the hell or your, no. or your goddamn nana, you know, who's probably in the attic. Well, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Don't take me to the Ouija board. I'm taking Don't. you straight to the Ouija board. Oh. Yeah, exactly. And, of course. I can't do it. You can do it. You can do it. Oh. Daddy's here. Daddy's here. Sorry to interrupt. Yes, yes. You are not getting me to play with one of those. And I'm dead serious. If someone said, dude, a million bucks, I'm, no, I'm honestly, I'm no word of a lie. I ain't, t- I ain't touching that. Oh, I love it. I love that. I love that you're not. Because you're, we're obviously taking very different paths on this. Because no. I find Ouija boards to be utmost rubbish and this is where i'm taking the devil's advocate here i don't believe that is anything at all i think it's rubbish because i've been looking at it right um and there is something uh, that a lot of human beings don't know it can be called the carpenter effect or more uh accurately is the idiomotor phenomenon or effect and so idio meaning idea or mental representation and motor obviously is a muscular function so, 
the same accusation has been brought against automatic writing. Indeed, indeed. And that is very much in the league. It's exactly what I'm talking about. And it's also uh, something like water dousing, where people feel like they can find water using a, a stick. And I love that idea. I, I'm not poo-pooing on this, but I'm trying to find a quantifiable scientific explanation for this. And this comes in the idea of the idiomotor phenomenon. And the idiodynamic or idiosensory, it ties in um, with the fact that if you imagine, right, this is my example is like for our listeners, this is a little experiment y'all can do at home right now. Sit and think quietly just for one second. If you think about sucking on a lemon, like think about putting a wedge of lemon in your mouth, right, you know what happens. You get this, uh, this sour sensation and this salivation that happens when your body experiences or your taste buds experience something very sour and quite unpleasant unless you're an absolute weirdo. And this is basically the power of suggestion. If you've got a point of reference to anything like that, as we just alluded to with the lemon sucking, you know what happens. And so your mind actually goes through the process of that. Um, it's amazing watching some uh, you know YouTube videos and just watching anyone giving their baby lemon for the first time, and you watch the honest response of what a sour thing you know does to the human body. That's it. It doesn't get more raw than that. But this is it's one of my hobbies: randomly running up to babies I don't know and <laughs> going sticking a bit of lemon in their mouth. The parents hate it, but I love it. Yeah, they really do. And the mall cops are called very soon. But you can outrun Paul Blart. I've seen you. It's really quite impressive. I'm on a lot of lists, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You are. You are. <laughs> and we'll talk about that another time. Hence, we don't use your real name on this program. It's the only way we can get through. But that is the whole point behind, like the idea behind a Ouija board is the idiomotor phenomenon. And I love devil's advocacy. No pun intended. Exactly what I think we might be talking about here. However, there's a bit of a problem with that with people who have implemented automatic writing in different languages. Yeah. So, while I respect that concept, and I do think there's a big mental element to some of it, I can send you stories of eight-year-old kids doing automatic writing in Aramaic. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not sure how neuromuscular influence works in that area. And going pretty deeply as I have on the Ouija board, sometimes what I've found is the commonality between, oh, I don't know if divination, divination isn't really the word. That's a good word. But, but sometimes it's apparently about the intention that's attached to the Ouija board. And that's how things come in and get in. Not necessarily by you saying, I'm spelling out words, by saying, I am right now open to some different dimensional, probably lower dimensional entity. And in laying out the board and doing this stuff, I'm giving permission for interaction. Why does that creature or entity need permission though? Because when it comes to the poltergeisty apparition sort, they don't and they just do what they please. If we look at some of the oldest wisdom traditions, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Syrians, they say, and this is what trickled over, they believe, into the Bible and relatively modern Christianity. They all talk about the one sovereign thing that we're given by the intelligent universe or whoever is sovereignty over our own choice. So we're given choice and agency. So I know this seems like a ridiculous idea, but that's wisdom tradition suggests that's why these things need permission, is that the one last thing given to us by the God is our free will. Yeah. yeah. And so 
what is, I guess, the point of this discussion is the lower level entities are very creative and have a varied and myriad ways that they can actually get this permission. And sometimes it's not necessarily so obvious. So, you know, taking the number of the devil in in a lot of these stories and a lot of these books and a lot of these movies is that the people did not go in there with the intent of saying, I want something malevolent to come and I just want to talk. Captain Howdy. Who's Captain Howdy? You know, I make the questions and he does the answers. Oh, Captain Howdy, yeah, I see. Nice. But the permission is inbound in the intent and the interaction. I'm just devil's advocating too. Yeah, but that also implies the idea that whatever you're summoning potentially has an intelligence in which it's going to follow a rule set. Now, I find that I, I, I can't bite that. But you just, you just stated that the universe it- has four laws. Maybe there are dimension laws of dimensionality, my friend. Well, that is a very good point, and you just scuttled my shit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. Now I'm sinking with the rat. The rats have left. I'm so sinking with this shit. Yeah, absolutely true. But, I mean, that then is subjective, and that is an opinion. And I, I just can't bite that. Likewise, as I was saying, like, you know, the power of suggestion, right, allows the hands of you and all your comrades to – even though you're not intentionally moving this thing, the the little marker across the Ouija board, you're not intending on doing that at all, but there is an automatic response that's coming with that. And that is not an intelligence. That is, as I, it's an autumn, it's a Pavlov dog thing. You're let's let's cut to the chase. Through. I think the reward is far out, outweighed by the potential risk. That's often how I live my life these days, my dude. I'm such a simpleton. It's like, oh, risk... Versus reward. Meh. Right? You've got to admit, some of the more, I was going to say respected, but I don't know if it's the word, but some of the more well-known paranormal researchers, demonologists, that sort of stuff, none in the least, you know, Ed and Lorraine Warren have many times stated, Mm. it's just a no-go, I don't touch the freaking thing, because a lot of really famous cases actually bloody started with a Ouija board, my bro-bro. So, I guess the point is that I'm I'm getting to is, would you? I mean, would you Ouija board? Dude, fantastic question. And um, having having just been the devil's advocate, I – give a very strong, very staunch, and very unequivocally, unwavering bloody no. I'm not doing it. Like, no, even though I'm saying all of this stuff about trying to actually understand it. Oh, I love it. No, man. Oh, so do I. It's, it's, It's fascinating. But no, once again, just because, just in case that smidgen of truth or the smidgen of actuality behind that, I'm not going to do it, man, because it doesn't go well. As you said, risk-reward, man. The reward. What is your reward for doing that? As far as I'm concerned, it's all risk, and I don't think it's advisable. And if it is even a smidgen true, why mess with it? You're just asking for trouble. I mean, you know, how is communicating with a house ghost going to help you do the dishes unless you come to some agreement? It's like, all right, you can spook the hell out of us on Thursday night, but do the dishes on Sunday morning. All right, that's fine. So, no, I, yeah, I'm really not going to go for that, man. It's, a, <laughs> it's an interesting one to consider because I feel like the tone is shifting now. If we sort of said, 
Yeah, we're kind of moving more if we sort of acknowledge the possibility of varying frequencies. Well, man, now we've got to open the door for the D word again. I mean, I, I, I wonder, I often wonder, just as there are beings in human form that their intent is to do good, mostly, but there is a small percentage that their intention is malevolent. Um, where do you stand on these levels of frequencies? Would you, yeah, that's my question. Would you, what would you, would you consider again, all these ancient wisdom traditions going, yeah, man, we've got different names, but we call them demons. Where do you, where do you stand on that? Because I get nervous just talking about it. (laughs) I'm, no, I know. I'm totally with you. We do understand a whole lot about frequencies and especially in, uh, you know, a lot of Tibetan ideas of uh, harmonic resonance, right? And this is the whole point of uh, throat singing. This is, you know, you know a whole lot more about this than I do, but it is very real. And there are stories of people being able to levitate themselves or objects or things just using the power of a resonant frequency and there's this really remarkable thing that i'm going to put up on the fb shortly after we um pyramids we do this show and no 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 no. this is wonderful it's uh it's called harmonic resonance on a 2d field and it's a really quite a simple thing and so to explain it briefly someone puts a speaker underneath what i would describe as a piece of wood or a piece of cardboard and they tip salt or sand upon this and then just run a frequency modulator through the speaker underneath it at a particular volume and so as they're increasing the frequency of this thing going from a high-pitched noise into almost inaudible but all the dogs in town are barking they got you what happens is the visual effect is stunning it's stunning you can see the waveform of this particular frequency and so these things have a physical for one of the first times that i ever saw it it knocked my socks off and i think they're in the realm wherever your socks were (laughs) earlier in the program and so they actually form these amazing shapes that you would not believe and they flip between them instantly. There is not like a gradient where they blend and merge. They go, and they're this particular shape. And then that that really then goes into sacred geometry. These are geometric marvels that we as human beings have understood and seemingly have forgotten. And we explored that a little bit in both the Kundalini hack and the Ark of the Covenant and our ancient, you know, our ancient societies episodes. Dude, this is fundamental. Yes, frequencies have physical properties. And that alone, to me, is stunning. And now we can drift further and go back to exactly what you were saying about lower frequency entities being a particular form and a particular shape, whereas higher, literally, dude, they have shapes. And they are akin to, like, the Mandelbrot sets and Taurus, which are what we believe magnetic fields and everything having resonance. And if we can be affected by sound. And that's why music, man, like we're both musical people. We're musicians by trade. We are happily on hiatus at the moment so we can explore this, but we know the power that manipulating and creating frequencies, i.e. songs or wailing guitar solos, can have effect on you. Everyone's got a song that they can't listen to because it reminds them of a particular point in their life. It's like most of Ben Harper for me is, oh, the best music you've ever heard, but, oh, geez, it takes me straight back to one of my first heartbreaks, and then I get this, you know, 
this is how this operates, man. Would you? Uh, how do you? Feel I definitely about think that a frequency is a factor. There's a reasonably compelling narrative to talk about. A structure like the pyramid was a harmonic resonance device. was was about sort of channeling and controlling and optimizing, you know, a certain frequency. All of our listeners will know about the Schumann resonance. It's the measurable vibration that the Earth hums at, for want of a better term. I think it is interesting because, and I'm aware that we might start to try to turn the crazy bus home, but. This is where probably an episode is going to come next from this and we start to get into the D word. We start to get into the realm of the demonic and in true dualistic fashion, therefore you can't blow the demonic without considering, you know, the angelic. Because I know that whatever is out there trying to get in is pure evil straight from hell. And if there is a hell, and those sons of bitches are from it, then there has got to be a heaven, Jacob. There's got to be. All of these things that could exist in between the dimensions, in between the realms, and when things intersect either by practice, skill sets, ritual, coincidence, incidents, trauma. few moments later. My brother, once again, this is a doorway episode and gives you a bit of an insight into how we think and discuss and why we don't talk about the weather when we're sitting around the water cooler. Not when there's dark matter to consider. <laughs> that's right. Um, my friend, so a lot of theory, a lot of a lot of stuff that's gone into the blender today. I know you've got some thoughts about the reverence that science has. We alluded to it in the Ghostbusters movie. This is one of the few paranormal movies that doesn't battle the paranormal with the paranormal. It battles the paranormal with science. But yes. if only the world was kind of actually like that, my friend. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And what science, um, for, for all my love of it, and obviously, um, if you haven't picked up, I kind of, I, I, I can't be hungrier and I need to know, you know, and, but this is the thing, you know, when we're trying to quantify things that we shouldn't or maybe can't know as humans in this very weak and frail form that we, um, you know, inhabit, um, science does not generally allow for spiritual or mystical ideas. And this is the problem that I have because as, you know, God, as a spiritual being, I believe in lots of interesting things. And this episode today is to try, just try to open the door, as you said, into some of these ideas. But that's where it really falls short is that science cannot explain some of this is the thing. The whole idea is that, you know, the string theory and the multi-dimensions is a theory. The Big Bang is a theory. These are not, it's not the Big Bang fact. It's not the string fact. These are ideas that we, that have a lot of grounding behind them, you know, and a lot of real scientific um, intrigue and evidence. But what it just does not allow for is the idea of ghosts. And if you are scientific right now, you're saying absolutely not. But there are things out there that go bump in the night that we just do not understand. And so my invitation is for people to pick and choose with the information that we've sort of uh, presented to you. If you're mildly interested, take a little bite on that, that little bite of information cheese and go down a rabbit hole. Make your own mind up because that is what this is about, really, when we don't have absolute definition about what this is so science has got a lot to um a lot to do everyone's incredibly busy doing the science stuff but 
have a little bit of time for a little bit of spirituality as well. Have a think in absolute quiet. Have a meditation. Do whatever you need to do to find a connectedness. And I think that's kind of what it's all about, my bro, in my mind. I think they should be working in tandem. Religion doesn't come into this, not even a little bit, because that is rubbish in my mind. But the ideas behind it are not. As soon as we can find a happy harmony between science and spirituality, and I use that not in a religious term, but in a mysticism term, where, you know... A meeting between science and wisdom traditions. Indeed. And I think that these need to go hand in hand because there is not one without the other. They've both got the same end goal. They're just taking different paths. So a little bit of collaboration would be nice is all I'm going to say. I concur. You're kind of saying that the irony is they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And I'm a massive follower of science. Love it. However, we meet some of the fundamental limitations here of the concept of science in that Science finds it very, very hard to regard something that it can't tangibly measure and process and then reproduce. So, this kind of, in some ways, is a design flaw in science. And Jesus, man, this has been happening since cocky was an egg. Men in togas arguing with men in lab coats. And and it's going to go on. It's a really tough one because, like you said, science is alluding to stuff and seems to be somewhat more open-minded, but I guess is still limited by the fact that, okay, we're talking about different things that, bugger it, we can't measure. Therefore, we can't empirically classify. So That's right. uh, That's why I said earlier what I said. That's why I said, look, we have proven that 84% of the galaxy is made up of weird, unknown soup. And I guess that's for us, the Manchildians, where some of these, some of these, I guess, quote unquote, conspiratorial ideas can live. And I can't see why not. We're not saying that 100% this is what is real and this is what is not. We're just saying, wow, man, go open the doorway to that 84% section. (laughs) Who knows what's in there? I just think it's outrageous to be dismissive. As we turn the bus for home, my friend, what's your score for 1984 Ghostbusters? Oh, it's 10. 10 out of 5, brother. That's right. a film, dude. I can watch that tonight yep. and be thrilled and I can probably get something else out of it or just be thoroughly entertained. Man, seriously, it's a pinnacle. I love it. Easy. It's quite obviously a 10 for me. Look, obviously Ghostbusters went through some evolving categories later on. Just to bookend this, obviously there was a cartoon series. Meh. The cartoon series was, however, very successful. But, oh, you know, five seasons and really there's only two seasons that are of any interest. And there's some interesting stuff in there. That's when the toy line came out. That's when the product line came out. They wanted to ride the coattails of this movie. It's not... hidden fact that most of the existing original cast were lukewarm at doing a sequel. Yeah. While I'm on the subject of the cartoons, poor old Ernie Hudson was the only original cast member to audition for a vocal role in the cartoons, and guess what? He didn't get it. <laughs> How does that even work? Don't get me started. Oh, my son. God, I don't want to know. Don't yeah, get me started. The major criticisms of the sequel, which didn't occur fast enough for the studios, I think it was five years later or maybe more, the major criticism of the sequel, I I could see the point, was that it's essentially the same movie. 
It is exactly the same movie. The characters are just changed, but it's essentially the same movie. However, this one did go gangbusters at the box office also. It was highly successful. I like it. It's kind of good, not great for me. I think it is clear when you go back and you watch it, you can see moments where the cast is like, I don't really want to be here. First and foremost, Bill Murray. Yeah. He'd be, and I, I love him, but I, you know, accordingly, he's uh, he can be quite difficult to work with as yeah. well, which yeah. is um, well, it's disappointing. I want him to be the easygoing Venkman that we all know, but that's how it goes, man. Don't get me wrong, he still has flawless moments in that movie, but um, your score on that, mine's probably a seven, seven and a bit. Look, I really enjoyed it, and it's uh, one of the characters is Janosch. And he is one of the funniest additions that I've ever witnessed in that. And look, man, I really enjoyed it. Vigo the Carpathian is great. Some of the special Wigo. rad. Wigo. Like, you have been a bad monkey. It's, oh, yeah, Viggy, it's cool. Viggy, Viggy. But it's the bit that's actually proper scary in that film, like actually proper scary, is when they're analysing the uh, the painting themselves and, and Dan Aykroyd, a.k.a. Ray, is up the ladder using his machine and he gets... He just starts staring at it and goes a bit weird and he starts seeing these these rivers of slime and all this stuff and that's actually scary. Dude, so spot on. I loved it. He's literally, yeah. by definition, in thrall in that moment. Um, oh. Well, you know, for all our original D&D players out yeah. there, that's a, that's a great Love spell. that. One little thing before we move too far on, of course, is um, they did release a video game. Oh, there no. have been many video That's games. Exactly where video I was going. game. Oh, gosh. Well, I'll let you do it then, please. Well, you know, the early, early ones. So there was there was video games on the Atari. There was video games on the Commodore 64. Um, then on the Sega. They were all meh. But, my friend, I know the one. I, well, I'm pretty yeah. certain I know the one that you're referring to, the 2009 release. Correct. Dude, Correct. that was which, great, which was effectively dude. the sequel that we were supposed to get. Exactly. That's what I was about to say. That is the direct sequel that had all the cast in it, and you play as the new recruit, which has kind of bummed us all out because it was, uh, you know, you don't speak as the character and it's kind of boring. But it was definitely the original cast. It was definitely a cinematic experience, and it was, for all you know, intents and purposes, a functional, acceptable experience. I love Nonetheless. It. Yeah, and you got to you got to do the one thing that you wanted to do. You got to use a nuclear particle accelerator, yeah, proton pack shooting dudes. Yes, please. That That's all you wanted to do, my friend. Yep, 100%. We really haven't even deeply gone into all the toys and all the tech that's involved in the original movie, but just so rich and just so compelling. Like I said, combating all this with science, you know, a ghost storage unit, like just great. And (laughs) from a filmmaker's perspective, just really not going into the origins of all of that, just having you accept that, look, Egon and Ray probably know how to do all that stuff. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not left wanting. This was only, I think from memory, it was only about 101 minutes, by the way, this original movie. It feels longer. The pacing is genius. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, it's a 10. Uh, so, we get, to, we get to 2016, and this is probably where you and I have differing viewpoints. I mean, what's the 2016 Ghostbusters? Would you consider it a remake? Would you consider it a, an attempted reboot? I'm it's a unclear. reboot, isn't it? It's a reimagining, I think. it doesn't really um, ever fully reference exactly what happened in 1984 or in the sequel either. It does reboot it completely. Even though everyone in it, like uh, who is still alive, bless his soul, uh, our dear Ramus didn't quite make it, but 
you know, Aykroyd, Hudson, and uh, and uh, Murray all appear in it. And Murray in particular has a fantastic character in that because he is the absolute um, pariah of the skeptic. He is that guy that rocks. I'm like, this is not real. This is absolutely untrue. You guys are lying through your teeth. And it's got a hit and miss, uh, you know, bit of ratio here. I enjoyed it for Kate McKinnon and uh, Kristen Wiig. I thought they were fantastic, but it did not, it did not capture the magic and the beautifully fine balance between comedy and actual science. It had hocus pocus, it had the comedy, yes, but it didn't have the prophecy, the philosophy, or the scientific nature that the others that we alluded to earlier absolutely have in spades that this conversation on. So, I, I, yeah, I'm going to preface my my statement on this by saying it's really dismissive to make this about gender. For me, it annoyed the hell out of me how, uh, you know, and it's pretty well documented, you can go down that wormhole, how from a publicity perspective, the studios tried to push any criticisms of this production onto a rejection of gender. That pisses me off so much because I think it's inherently sexist to not be able to criticise a production on its production value only. I think it's ridiculous to make it about gender. In fact, man, when I heard they were doing a remake reboot, Paul Feig is a fantastic director. The dude can make some funny, funny movies. That cast, dude, you know my feelings about Kristen Wiig. I think she's an absolute genius. Melissa McCarthy, all of them, right? A current SNL alumni. I love the fact that they went with a female cast, dude, because you just you can't reboot that because I feel like any any all male cast just would have never stood a chance. They would have been compared even more to to the original guys. Okay, so that that being said, this was just impossible for me to be objective about it because when I you know because when I'm going in with arguably my top five Rushmore movie and you want to do it again, it's like I'm scarred from RoboCop. I'm scarred from Total Recall. <laughs> yeah, this movie was the the equivalent of of a sequence of fart jokes like dick and bum jokes like and gosh that's most of my repertoire g you know i love that stuff but you you're comparing a movie that had genius and subtlety and pacing and originality with to use a red letter media the cinematic equivalent of homer simpson's makeup shotgun yes yes Yes, and but the thing is, like, I did – the whole point for me was I view that film in very in particular. It's a comedy. It is very funny, and consistently I had some laughs. I really enjoyed it, but it didn't have the subtlety, and it never lent into the realm of actual seriousness, not once. You know, it really didn't, and that to me is why it does not even closely compare and is not even part of it for me, you know. It's a whole other game. It's a whole other thing. No worries. Yes, it's great, but it didn't have that. We couldn't have had this conversation about that film. We could only have the conversation. It would have ended about 45 minutes ago. And also, you know, you need to be objective and honest and say these wonderful performers had a crappy script. 
they had nothing to work with. You can't compare the writing of Croydon and Ramus and Reitman. You know, you can't compare that. These these great comedy minds combined with the ad lib skills and the delivery of a Bill Murray. That's why I say, look, maybe it was a happy accident, but you know, it's our happy accident, my bro, bro. That's right. And look, I think that's going to bring the crazy bus home because I don't want to finish too much with the old hate mail sputuming out of our sputums. My brother, (laughs) I feel like this is a doorway to a bigger hallway and I've loved knocking on that doorway with you, my friend. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's been great. And um, I, I look forward to future episodes because we did. Actually, we've, you know, the weir is open and the floods are coming. And, um, you know, there's much more to talk about um, in, in future episodes. So I look forward to exploring that with you. And um, um, in the meantime, everyone out there, wrap your heads and ears around um you know previous episodes get a little bit of a taste of what the Manchildians are all about you are our players we're nothing without you and thanks very much for coming on this ride with us this very fine day this has been the Manchildian candidate you've been the stars we've been your agents to knowledge and hopefully opening some doors into some level of intrigue and um you know good luck follow it let us know how you go because it's this there's no answers man this is the best bit there is no right or wrong answers so yeah this show is just like a giant library full of questions isn't it turtles (laughs) everyone and jesus stay away from the ouija boards i ain't afraid of no ghosts